Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 2, 12 through 14, and chapter 2, verse 18 through 23, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verse 13 through 21, and Psalm 49, verse 1 through 11. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I did not win the lottery this week. I did play, though. The jackpot was $1.025 billion. Now, if you take the lump sum and then after cash and all of the taxes that you have to pay both federal and state, you only end up with like $480 million. Far cry from a billion, but I thought it was worth the $2 ticket. I really did. But you may have noticed that the winning lottery, uh, the person who won uh, bought their ticket in Illinois, Uh, And I did not, I was not in Illinois this past week. So I continue as the rector of Church of the Redeemer. For now. For now. Oh, please. I'll take cheap applause anytime. So, no, but I I, I really, you've heard me talk about this before, but I 100% do play the lottery. And I 100% think that the lottery is a total disaster. And it's not healthy. It's not a moral system. And also, I completely play it. And the whole time, I'm thinking about, of course, all the good that I will do. Um, There will be enough money left over for a little remodel of the house. But I've got a lot of plans to do good for the world, of course. But this time around, as I was mulling over the the $480 million that was unquestionably going to be coming my way, one of the things that I was really thinking about is, why why do I do this to myself? Why do I care? And why do I play this? What is this? And I mean, obviously, why, I mean, part of it's like, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, give it a shot. But, and by the way, if, you, if any of you ever win, um, uh, I won't judge you at all, uh, especially based on how much you're able to give to the church. I completely will support and love you in your decisions. But for myself, I think, what is this thing? Why am I, why am I caring? And I realized as I was thinking it through this week, as I was thinking about all of this, this uh, money that I thought I could do such great things with, one of the things I was really realizing I wanted was this idea that overnight, just like that, a switch could be flipped and I wouldn't have to worry anymore. I thought... I wouldn't have to worry about anything when it comes to financial issues for my family, for me, for my brothers, for my my parents, for my kids, for any of it. Probably their grandkids and great-grandkids. I'd got it. We'd be all set. And that is so attractive. Oh my goodness. What an amazing possibility that I wouldn't have to worry anymore. Snap. One day, one thing happens, and I'm fine. And I could say to my soul, soul, all is well. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We're finally, we're finally okay. 
And you all can laugh with me at this because you know what it's like. You know whether it's the lottery or not. You know what it's like to have that desire to just snap your fingers and have things be made right. Would that you could snap your fingers or have some moment that is as miraculous as a, as a Mega Millions ticket win and, and all of a sudden you could be okay. Things would be okay. We yearn for this. This is one of the things that we have in common very deeply with the people to whom Jesus ministers every day. Jesus is ministering to a people who deeply yearn for God to show up and just make things right. I mean, it goes so far as, this guy seems pretty wise, I'll just shout out to him from the crowd, hey Jesus, help decide, help my brother and me figure out this inheritance thing. He has not been following Jesus for long. I feel like the people who follow Jesus for a while know not to shout things out to Jesus because they're going to get some really depressing parable thrown their way. Uh, and then you die tonight. It's, it's hard stuff. So I, I would keep it down. But, but even that idea is like, if, gosh, I just wish someone would take care of this for me. And of course, Jesus knows in that moment that it's about the inheritance, but it's not about the inheritance. What's going on with you and your brother? What's happening within your family that, that this is where we're at? Do you really think that even if I made a decision for you and everyone abided by it, that all of a sudden your relationship concerns would just clear up? But we do. We hope. We hope that what God will do is just wave a magic God wand over a situation and make things better. And if we don't bring God into the picture, and often we do not bring God into the picture, we hope for ourselves that we can just find the thing, find the fix, figure out what we need to do to make our lives go simply, without complication, and without concern. What do I have to do? How much money do I have to accumulate? What kind of home do I have to have? What kind of job do I need? What kind of life do I need to live so that I can be rewarded with some kind of peace? God, please, I'm trying to be the right kind of person. At least give me some peace. As if peace is the reward we get for doing it all just right. Many of you know this story about me. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we made the decision to sell the house we were living in and move into a new house. Uh, we had three children. We still do, by the way, but at the time we had three children and we were right in the middle, actually right at the outset, it turns out, of this pandemic and being shut down in the house with these three kids. So naturally you would think we were moving to get more space. You would be very smart and that's also not what we did. We downsized. Um, we are a specific kind of crazy, and we decided to make our space together smaller so we could really, really get to know each other. And the reality for us is that our finances weren't in line with our priorities. We had a sense of this is what we want our life to be like, but the way we spent wasn't connected to what we said was important for us. All of our money is going towards a mortgage. 
We're not taking care of savings. We're not giving to our community. We're not giving as much as we'd like to our church. We're not living the way we think we ought to live. So we made a tough decision to buy a smaller house and live in a different way. And I'm proud of that decision. We're proud of that decision. Two years later, good decision. But I'm here to tell you two years later, you will not believe this. But it didn't make everything better and perfect. I thought that it would. And I'm not just talking about like my family like getting along. We actually get along fine. I'm actually talking about financially. Yes, everything is working better than it was. And our priorities and our, and our, our finances are more in line with one another. And this is good. And I am proud of that. And also, am I at peace about my finances on a daily basis? Absolutely not. Because making a quick decision, even if it's a difficult one, doesn't just all of a sudden put you at peace. But this is the kind of peace I continually strive for in my life. If I make the right decision, if I do the right thing, things will all shake out the right way and I will just feel better. This has happened zero times, but I keep trying for it. So I understand the rich man in this parable and I understand the brothers in the story who want Jesus to just show up and say, this is what it's supposed to be like and then everything will be just Right, or the rich man who thinks for himself, I have all the things I need now. So everything should be fine. What's fascinating to me about this story is Jesus' conclusion to the parable when he said, you have great wealth, but you are not rich toward God. Now, this would be a real easy time for me to say this is about how much you give to the church. And I genuinely believe in giving to your church, to your community. But that is not the primary point Jesus is making. To be rich toward God Let's sit with this. What does it mean for you, for me, to be rich toward God? There's a financial aspect, but is there more to it or is it just about money? You have and I have a great abundance, a great abundance in our lives do we share that with God? I believe there are two, there's probably many things Jesus is doing, but there are two specific things I'd like for us to think about when it comes to us being rich toward God as Jesus tells the story. One is I want us to remember how much we want to take care of all of this on our own how much we want our safety and security to depend on us and our actions. How much we believe that our fate in this life is up to us. And if we just work hard enough and do the right things and save right, we will be okay. Which puts a tremendous burden on us emotionally. We place the burden of us being okay all on ourselves. 
Is there any room for God in that? Other than as the one who comes and waves the wand. Is there any room for God to work in our lives when we are busy trying to work it all out ourselves? I believe that to be generous to God, to be rich toward God, is to give God space and recognize God's presence in our lives. Recognize that God is working in our lives and then allow God in to do some of that work. Allow God to bless us in ways we can't imagine. Allow God to transform our hearts and our lives and not just make it about God fulfilling our wish list. To be rich toward God is at least in part to give God some space to be God in our hearts and in our lives. But there's something else that's also happening here. And this one might even be tougher than giving some space for God. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he insists that God is present, which is important enough for us. But Jesus goes further by insisting that we can see God's presence in one another. That if we're interested in seeing the power of God at work in the world, we have no further to look than the person right in front of us. That if we are interested in seeing God's blessing, God's abundance, God's love, God's transformative power and the reconciliation and healing of the world, we are meant to see God in the person to whom we speak, to whom we listen. To be rich toward God is to be generous to one another, is to be rich toward one another. To allow for the possibility that the people in our lives are part of God's blessing and not just when they share their inheritance with us and not just when they act exactly the right way. God's great gift is God's presence and the way we experience that gift is through recognizing God's power and blessing in one another. The man in the parable today doesn't talk to anybody but himself. He says to his own self, to his own soul, soul, we're doing great. And we all get that. But there's a loneliness in it. To a person who has so much and has no idea what to do with it except to build bigger storehouses. To live in a world that it has people who are in need and to think, I could build my own spaceship. To live in this world filled with people who seek God's blessing and need to see God's presence and only to talk to one's self about oneself's, my abundance, what I can do, what I have achieved, what I could have more of, this is a deep sickness. We're all complicit in it. 
because we're all trying to figure out what we can do for ourselves so that we will be just fine. God never works like that in these stories. Even in Jesus Christ himself, dying on the cross and being raised back up again, we say that this is the moment in which all things are made right, in which God saves the world. And also, does our world feel saved to you right now? This thing that God is doing is going to take a different amount of time than we want. It's going to look differently than we want. And it's going to be found in how we learn to love and be loved by one another. The abundance we seek, whether it be financial or otherwise, is here. It's present Can we be rich enough toward God that we can trust God, open our eyes, and see God working? Can we trust God enough even to see God working in each other? Can we trust God enough to let go of some of the burden we place on ourselves to get it all right? Can we trust God enough to take some of this on, to transform the way we see this world? Can we trust God enough to recognize the abundance that we already have? Can we ask God to help us share that abundance in love with one another? In Jesus' name.